Uh, Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And uh, as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online and joining us in our study of God's Word. Also, our friends in Arco, Idaho, and also the hangar in Montana. We are so glad that you are joining us for our study of God's Word as well. Now, before you, um, uh, we actually get into the study, I'm going to invite uh, Starla Anderson, who's our church moderator, if she would come up right now. And as Starla comes up, would, I'd like to call your attention to the insert that should be there in your program called Advice. Advisory board report uh, with regard to the name change. And you'll see the feedback form results there on one side. It'll kind of break it down by service and then the total as to how that came out. And I just want to thank you so much for uh, many of you that participated in that, for your feedback on that given Sunday, which helped the advisory board to make its decision. The advisory board is, is a group of all the deacons, deaconesses, deacons, uh, the trustees board, the missions board. And then if you turn it over, you'll see that the there's the recommendation or the motion that was given uh, to the advisory board, and then um, Starla will tell you what the action was taken on that. So go ahead, Starla. On behalf of the advisory board, I would like to thank each and every one of you for your prayers and your participation over the past couple of months as we've tried to faithfully consider the best process by which to determine whether a name change would be in the best interest of our congregation as a whole. This process has required patience, self-control, and vulnerability to to arrive at where we are today. After many hours of conversation considering the impact this change would have on various members of our congregation, the advisory board finally felt ready to make a vote this past Monday evening after gathering your input on the feedback forms that many of you took some time to consider and really give thoughtful responses to. Although the decision was not unanimous, it was over an overwhelming majority. Out of the advisory board members present at the meeting this past Monday night, 9% were not in favor of adopting the DBA, doing business as Purpose Church, and 91% of them voted in favor of adopting the DBA Purpose Church to reduce confusion and further the mission of our church. Again, thank you for covering this process in prayer and for seeking wisdom by asking the Lord to make it clear how he wanted us all to proceed and to best situate ourselves to meet future needs. Please continue to pray for this situation faithfully as we join together in unity as we make this change together as a church family. Thanks, Darla. Let's thank Darla. She has been very wonderful in this process and it's just... uh, done a great job of leading us. I want to put up a verse that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. And by the way, if you didn't catch that message, there are free CDs and DVDs at either the guest center on the south end of the lobby or the north end of the lobby or at the resource center. You can also uh, go on our website and you can access it there. It doesn't include, unfortunately, the Andy Stanley section, which I thought was one of the most powerful sections of that morning. We haven't yet. We're still waiting on copyright permission for that section, so that's not included. But the rest of it is there. Encourage you to grab them they're free. Give them to other friends within the church. But the verse that was kind of our theme verse for this step of changing our name was Psalm 145 verse 4. And remember I said a couple of weeks ago, I thought it was really cool that this is our 145th anniversary as a church. And so lo and behold, the theme for that day was the same as our anniversary. That was not intended. It just kind of God made it happen. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. And then I said uh, what could come off as a very arrogant thing, but I believe I can back it up statistically, and that is that our church is uh, one of the best churches 
in American history at implementing that particular, uh, that particular uh, verse. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I doubled down, if I even knew what that phrase meant, but I've heard it from the gambling world, and said that it's, uh, I think our church is one of the most effective in world history. It's just unprecedented to see a church of this size and thriving for this many generations over a 145-year period. And this step that we've taken uh, in no way changes our commitment to multi-generational ministry. I believe that it strengthens our commitment to multi-generational ministry. And I believe that we are one of the most effective churches in all of Southern California at ministry to those ages 50 and older. But what we want to do in the future is to make sure that at the same time we are an effective church for those ages 50 and over, that we, and we will continue to do so. We, we make a continuous commitment uh, to that age group. I'm in that age group, so we will maintain our commitment to that age group. But at the same time, to take steps, this one included, at also being one of the most effective for not just 50-year-olds, but 15-year-olds as well. That's what we want to be. 50-year-olds, 50-year-olds, everything in between, everything younger than 15, everybody older than the 50 as well. And the way that we do this, as I talked a couple of weeks ago, and we've done it over 145 years, is to be conservative, rock-solid conservative on orthodoxy. Ortho meaning right, doxy meaning doctrine. Not straying to the right or to the left from God's word, one jot, one tittle, not moving one iota from this book, being conservative, rock solid in our faith and conviction and basing everything on the word of God. But then at the same time, being dynamic in orthopraxy, ortho meaning right, praxy meaning the practice of the faith, that is being dynamic and flexible generation to generation so that we can tell his works as found in his word, tell of his mighty acts as found in his words, but do so generation to generation and to be dynamic and flexible in the way we take the same old gospel story and apply it to fresh generations, generation to generation uh, in the future, by the grace of God, we will do that until Jesus Christ returns and all God's family said, amen. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, help us, because this has uh, been a challenge. It's, it's hard to go through changes like that. It is, is difficult. And yet, Lord, thank you that you've brought us through it. And now, Lord, I pray that we will be able to unify together to continue our commitment to um, ministry to the boomer generation, the builder generation, World War II generation, but at the same time, um, as we renew our commitment to those generations, we also renew our commitment to the, the Bridger generation and Gen X and Millennialists and any other generations that will come along. Oh, Lord, help us to always be found faithful in our uh, conservative, rock-solid basis of our ministry and our church and our teaching on orthodoxy, the right doctrine, the right teaching of God's word given once to the saints. Uh, Lord, we pray that we will always be solid on that and never drift one direction or another, never drift to the right or the left. But at the same time, Lord, I pray that as the early church on uh, has been saying, uh, how can we not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God that we will uh, think about that one lost sheep, that we will think about the lost sheep of every generation, but particularly the generations coming, the younger generations, and that we will do everything we can to minister to multiple generations and continue to do so as you have helped us for the last 145 years. 
Help us for the years to come until Jesus returns. We believe it's going to be soon, Lord. But whenever it is, whether it be soon or far away, we pray that you will come back and say, well done, good and faithful servants. You've been faithful to the end. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Now we continue. We're actually ending the hope quotient today. And the title of today's study is Hope Floats. And I've talked a lot about the fact that there is IQ, intelligent quotient, that uh, is certainly helpful and can help you in life. Uh, There's EQ, which they say is even more effective, and that is the fact that your emotional quotient, how you get along with other people, can even more determine than your IQ how effective you are in life. As a matter of fact, I think there's going to be as many Qs as there are uh, letters in the alphabet. Just yesterday, I got my Time magazine and it said, how high is your XQ? And so I'm like, my goodness, we're never going to keep up with all of these. And this is uh, an article on uh, cover story about how they do elaborate personality tests. Maybe if you've gone for a job recently, they have elaborate personality che- check tests with seemingly random language that they've discovered will help determine if you'll be effective in that particular work team or in that particular work setting. But we believe maybe the most important one of all is your HQ, your hope quotient. And researchers are discovering that to be the case today. I just read an article this past week on what they call, what they, we call hope. They call resiliency. That is the ability to bounce back from tough situations and difficult circumstances. And so contemporary researchers are discovering what God's word has taught us for thousands of years. That is your hope can be built. It can be solid. It can grow. Your hope quotient can be high regardless of life circumstances. And your HQ will enable you to bounce back and to float when times are difficult. And so we're going to do a little game here. Okay, I've got two eggs that look identical from the outside. So, you know, there's no way of you knowing this, but let's just do it for fun. Uh, How many of you think this egg is going to sink? How many of you think it's going to sink if I drop it in? Okay. How many of you think it's going to float? Now, let me see your hands on that. Okay. You put this egg in, it sinks because it's a hard-boiled egg. Okay. Uh, Hard-boiled egg, it's actually a healthy sign if an egg uh, drops down like that. That's good. How about this egg? How many think that it's going to float? Let me see your hands on that. Okay, you're just playing the odds because this one sank, so you're doing that thing. Okay, I know that. Uh, How many think it's going to sink? How many think this one's going to sink? Okay, you just want to be different from uh, what the others are doing. We've dropped this one in, and it floats because it's made out of wood. Okay, that's why it's it's floating. Now, there's another bad reason. Uh, do you know why an egg could float even if it's not wood? It's, if it's rotten, if it's a rotten egg. But Pete Wilson would not allow me to have a rotten egg here in church. He thought that would be disgusting. So the one floats and the one, and here's the thing about, if I push it in and let it go, it bops, to, tops, uh, floats, bops, bops. Is that a word? That's a technical scientific term. It bops to the top. It floats to the top. And that's the, the way God's word says that some of us without hope, we sink because our hope quotient is low, but others hope floats because our hope quotient is high. So what we try to do through this series, through biblical principles, is to increase our hope quotient. Now, everything to this point has been what to do. That is going on offense. What will we do to build our hope quotient? But now we're going to end with what to not do. We're going to talk about defense, what to get rid of in our lives in order for hope to float. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Mother Teresa said, Be faithful in small things because it is in them that your strength lies. 
Solomon puts it this way in the Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 15. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards. Back in ancient Israel, it was the little foxes that could get under the fence, the little foxes that could get beyond the barrier, and they would be the ones that would get in and ruin the fruit, ruin the vineyards. And so the Bible warns us, sometimes it's the little things in life that'll get you if you're not careful. It's the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. That's what we're going to be talking about today. The things that hinder and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I love this quote by Ray Johnston. He says, sin fascinates and then assassinates. How many of you find sin, you know, fascinating? I don't either. I just, it was a theoretical question. Okay, you raise your hand. Okay, uh, let's have honesty time. Okay, we're all friends here. How many find sin fascinating? My goodness. If something sinful is going on on TV, that's right where my eyes are going, you know. And so we find sin fascinating. But then if we linger on it, then it assassinates. And so we're going to talk about some hope killers. The first set is bitterness and resentment. Resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Isn't that a great saying? Resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Hebrews 12 says this, Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Be careful of bitterness and resentment. You may be the whole reason that you came to church today is God just wants to ask you this question. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? What is it that is a poison that you're taking, hoping that it'll do something to them and it's just destroying you? Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness. Maybe if you have a pencil or pen, jot that person's name or if they might be seated nearby, put their initials down, okay? Um, or maybe they're preaching to you right now, you know? Maybe it's the pastor that led the church and changing our name, maybe you need to forgive me, okay? And I, I understand that. I totally get that. So maybe I'm the person you need to forgive. So who do you need to forgive? And either put it in your mind or, or jot that thing down. Number two is worry and anxiety, okay? Warren Wiersbe says, most Christians are being crucified on a cross between two thieves, yesterday's regrets and tomorrow's worries, Dr. Alexis Carroll, got the Nobel Prize in medicine, said people who don't know how to fight worry die young. Corey Tenboom, survivor of a Nazi concentration camp, so she knows what she's talking about. She says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. Do you know that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talked about worry more than any other subject? Talked about worry more than giving, more than prayer, more than fasting, more than any other subject he talked about worry in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor, spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today 
and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, and all God's family said, amen to that. Next page of your study outline. Here's a great verse. And maybe the whole reason the Holy Spirit invited you to church this morning was just to hear this verse. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Let's read this out loud together. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Uh, What is your storm this morning? What's the storm you're going through? What is the anxiety-causing event in your life right now? And maybe God invited you here this morning just just to think of that storm and right now to be able to claim that verse, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I heard of a pastor friend, and he said that he uses this verse on a, on a daily basis. Like just before he goes to bed, he'll just say, he'll think about the things that he's worried about. And just before he goes to bed, he'll just quote First Peter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You've heard what I've done. I've talked about it for many years. Is I have a lifelong habit, or I've done it for years. And just before I go to bed, every night I look up at the stars. And I think about the creator of the universe that made everything, made the galaxies, made the universe, and then I think about my anxieties, what it is that worries me, and I cast my care on him because he cares for me. I say, God, you created all that. I think you can handle whatever it is that I'm worried about here, and I'm going to sleep like a baby now because now it's your problem. I'm casting my care on you because you care for me. What is your storm that you're going through this morning? Number three is guilt. Reminders, you are forgiven. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, I want everybody here to know that that verse can apply to them before you leave here in a few minutes. Everybody here, you can know you're forgiven. And what more wonderful thing is there in life than to be free like the young ladies were just up here singing to, to be free, to be forgiven, to know that we're forgiven. And if you look on the next page, page five, in the upper left-hand corner, you'll see a shaded yellow area that says how to become a follower of Jesus. And there's three steps it talks about. First of all, admit your condition before God. Admit that you need forgiveness. Uh, acknowledge that we have sinned. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then repent of that sin. Repent means to do a 180 degree turn. To be going in this direction and say, God, I repent. I'm going to turn 180 degrees. I'm going to leave behind that sin. And that doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect. But it does mean that I'm making a choice to follow you rather than this life of sin. And so you admit your condition before God. You believe that Jesus is God's only solution to that condition. Uh, For the wages of sin, the result of sin is death, physical death and spiritual death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And then you make a decision to open up your heart to receive Christ, to follow Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of our sins and your Lord, the leader of your life. Jesus said, I tell you, whoever hears my word 
and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. You can know that you're forgiven. You can know before this service is over that you are forgiven, that you're free, just as the young ladies were singing a few minutes ago. And so I'm gonna pray this prayer out loud and I invite you to pray it silently as I pray it out loud. Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was and proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins right here, right now. June 14th, 2015, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. If you're in Montana, uh, right here, right now, uh, June 21st, and not June 14th today, and June 21st in Montana, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen had June 15th on my mind because that's my wife's birthday and it better be on my mind. (laughs) If you prayed that prayer, we've got a gift for you. And as you leave, and everybody don't get excited, this is not the end of the sermon, we got a few more minutes. But as you leave, either on the south end of the lobby or the north end of the lobby, there's these little packets that say, unwrap your gift. And it's got some resources to help you in your walk with Jesus. If you'd like to talk to somebody, there's somebody out there to talk to. But if you'd rather not talk to anybody, please be sure to just go by and grab a hold of this uh, as you leave as a gift from our church to you to help you in, in your new relationship with Jesus. You are forgiven. And another thing that's true, if you've prayed that prayer, either in the past or, or you just did it just now, there is no condemnation for you. Paul writes in Romans 8, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news, isn't it? And thirdly, you'll never be separated from the love of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And everybody said, amen. The number four is past failures and regret. That's another hope killer. Past failures and regret connected with those failures. Now what you'll find in the Christian life is that many times God will use a failure to lead you to a future success or to something even better in your life. How many of you have ever found that in your life? And you find that more and more that sometimes today's failure is tomorrow's uh, blessing. You know, to, this year is the 145th anniversary of our church, but it's also the 45th anniversary of the Apollo 13 almost crisis. Uh, one of probably the greatest victories of NASA was bringing back those astronauts safely after catastrophic explosion happened on their spacecraft on the way to the moon. And uh, Jim Lovell was the commander of Apollo 13, and he had something happen earlier in his life, a failure 
that helped him in the current crisis he was in with Apollo 13. He was flying a, a jet trying to find his aircraft carrier in the night, and he couldn't find it. And he had a catastrophic uh, shutdown of the electrical panel, the electronics, in his cockpit. So the cockpit lights went out, and yet that electrical failure led to something good in its place. General Colin Powell, what good are regrets? Regrets slow you down. Regrets cause you to fail to pay attention to the future. So I never log, count, or inventory my regrets. I move on. John Wooden said, if you're not making mistakes, then you're not doing anything. I'm positive that a doer makes mistakes. That great theologian Johnny Cash once said, you build on failure. You use it as a stepping stone. Close the door on the past. You don't try to forget the mistakes, but you don't dwell on it. You don't let it have any of your energy or any of your time or any of your space. Uh, This last week, I heard a graduation speech. And uh, they mentioned something I thought was so cool about Walt Disney. Do you know his idea for a theme park was rejected 302 times? 302 times. But that thing worked out okay in the end, didn't it, you know? You know who I admire so much in this whole realm of forgetting the past and moving into the present is professional athletes. I think they have a remarkable ability. I mean, if I had a catastrophic play, if I you know, threw an interception or did something really bad, I would just run home and suck my thumb in the closet for the rest of the day. And, they, and, and these, they're, they're amazing how they bounce right back. They bounce right back, and they have the courage to try once again. Um, do you know who my favorite non-Laker is? Uh, Steph Curry. Uh, I love this guy. How, okay, let's do a little vote. How many of you are rooting for the Golden State Warriors? Let me see your hands. How many of you are for LeBron and the Cavaliers? Okay, we got a good, good, ra- good ratio, better than we had at the 830. You know, they were, they were all Golden State people almost. Steph Curry, I, I love this guy. He, first of all, he's a on-fire Christian, totally on fire for Jesus. You know, every time he makes a three-point shot, and he's one of the most prolific in history, he just points up to acknowledge Jesus after, after every one. Well, the other night, he was really dishonoring Jesus in a big-time way. Okay, he said, I'm just kidding, kind of. Okay, but he, he, he set the record for the most uh, three-pointers missed in an NBA championship game, a finals game, set the record. And this young man, he's, you know, he's always been too small and, and, and too little and dis- disregarded. Uh, like I said, on fire Christian. Met his wife in, in their youth group in their church uh, back in North Carolina years ago. He's got the cutest little girl that steals the post-game conferences, you know, left and right. And uh, just, a, just a great guy. He's always been disregarded, never recruited by a Division I uh, school, and so he ended up at Davidson, which is near where I grew up, a little uh, school, a little Presbyterian school in North Carolina. My pastor went to Davidson, and it's this little small uh, Presbyterian school there in North Carolina, and, and he was the, N, the N, NBA MVP this last year. And, and, but then he, like I said, he just had that horrible game. Game two sets a record for the most three-point shots uh, failed. Uh, failed to make. And, and that's not the kind of record you want to be in the record books for. And, and yet he bounces right back, bounces right back, has a couple of good games, and, and they're right back in it two and two uh, once again. You know, it, it's just, uh, just amazing the ability these guys have to just bounce back. And it's a great example to us. But I would say maybe the greatest example of all was Paul in the Bible. 
If there was anybody who should have regrets, it would be the Apostle Paul. Before he became a follower of Christ, he killed and imprisoned Christians. Can you imagine trying to get up the courage to come to church today if you knew you might sit next to somebody and you had had their husband killed for his faith a couple of years before? You imagine being afraid and that you might slip into where you're sitting and all of a sudden you look next to you and there's a little girl and you had her daddy thrown into prison for several months. And, and he felt that so deeply. He said in 1 Timothy 1.16, he called himself the worst of sinners. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9, he said, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. Okay, But here's what he said in Philippians 3. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Practical steps to make your hope float. Life strategy number one, never make decisions when you're down. Heard a speaker once say, before you make any life, major life decision, get 12 hours of sleep. That was my mother's solution to everything, go take a nap. I mean, that was her, that was the sum of her parenting was basically go take a nap. You got fighting with your sister, go take a nap. Had a bad day at school, go take a nap. You're going through a hard time, go take a nap. Feeling sad, go take a nap. And, and it was like awesome parenting. I mean, I, my mother, you know, just like super. Never make decisions when you're worn out, when you're beaten down, when you're down. Life strategy number two, respond to bad news in great ways. Respond to bad news in great ways. Boy, my hero in that is Nehemiah. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. You know what he did? He went down. He, he grieved. He wept. He got down, but he didn't stay there. Bounces back up, begins to pray, catches a fresh vision, moves to Jerusalem, uh, Springs into action. 52 days later, they've got a wall up in Jerusalem. Must have been no government permits to have to pull for that to have happened, okay? 52 days later, boom, the wall's up there, and now Jerusalem has a bright, has a bright future. Respond to bad news. Respond to it in great ways. Another of my heroes in this is the great American inventor, Thomas Edison. Started more than 100 companies before the age of 40, held more than 1,000 patents that changed the way the world works. His inventions of the incandescent light bulb, the phonograph, and a viable motion picture system continue to shape our planet today. He lived by a set of core principles, among them a determination to never give up. That determination got severely tested on December 9, 1914, when an explosion and fire leveled his corporate campus in West Orange, New Jersey. Edison sees his vast plant burn, shouted the headline in the New York Times. Edison was there when the fire started and directed efforts to save as much as possible, but the loss amounted to about $7 million, which would be well over $100 million today. Although I'm over 67 years old, he told a Times reporter, I'll start all over again tomorrow. I'm pretty well burned out tonight. But tomorrow there will be a mobilization here and the debris will be cleared away if it is cooled sufficiently and I will go right back to work to reconstruct the plant. Edison's determination was all the more remarkable because he made this statement in the middle of the disaster, according to the reporter, as he watched the flames destroy building after building. Sometime after the catastrophe, Edison declared, 
there is great value in disaster. All of our mistakes get burned up. Thank God we can start anew. Isn't that great? All my mistakes got burned up. Thank God we can start anew. And start anew he did. During the fire, Edison noted how the loss of power and light had hampered the firefighters. So he designed a portable battery-powered searchlight with a 3 million candle power beam. Within six months, he demonstrated his invention to astonish visitors at a nearby park. When you respond to bad news in great ways, who knows what the future might hold? And then the third life strategy is to shake it off and step up. Shake it off and step up. Uh, I, I love this old parable tells of a farmer who owned a mule that fell into an abandoned dry well. The farmer decided that neither the mule nor the well were worth saving, so he enlisted his neighbors to help haul dirt to bury the old mule in the well and put him out of his misery. The old mule brayed hysterically as the first shovels of dirt rained down on him, but as he struggled, a thought struck the mule. I don't know who recorded this, but... Every time a shovel of dirt lands on my back, he thought, I'll just shake it off and step up. So that's what he did. Shovelful after shovelful, the old mule fought panic and just kept right on, shaking it off and stepping up. Shake it off and step up, he kept thinking. Shake it off and step up. Before long, the battered and exhausted mule stepped triumphantly over the wall of that well and into a new chance on life. I don't think that happened, but it was a a good story. (laughs) Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph said, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Shake it off. Step up. Shake it off. Step up. 